If you like weird history, true crime, haunted and paranormal, then pause the podcast you're listening to right now and subscribe to Ghost Town wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a video component to our favorite Ghost Town episodes at youtube.com slash Jason Horton. Episodes like The Los Feliz Murder House, The Toxic Lady, The Black Dahlia, Janis Joplin's Hotel Room, The Haunted Roosevelt Hotel, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash Jason Horton. That's youtube.com slash J-A-S-O-N-H-O-R-T-O-N. And while you're there, please subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you. It's the Friends Without Benefits podcast. My name is Jason Horton. Welcome to the show. If it's your first time here, this will be a religious experience. If you're back for more, it's just a podcast. My guest is Michael Gallagher. We've worked together on YouTube for a really long time. He's parlayed that to a writing and directing career for films, uh, some that I'm in. And those are the only ones that I care about, but we'll be talking a lot about that. The conversation gets a little political, which is something I normally don't do on the show, and I know you normally don't get every single day on the internet, so that should be fun. The stand-up has been going great for those who are following that. My show at the Hollywood Improv was super fun. Excited to do that. Did a couple open mics, tried out some new material. I saw Morrissey at the Hollywood Bowl. Love Morrissey. He sounded great. Had a horn section. I was just a little disappointed that all the monitors had no video. It was just still photos. So if you were sitting in the cheap seats, like me, it was a little bit disappointing. The song selection was, it's always good. Played some Smith songs. I just wish I heard more of the Morrissey songs I wanted to hear. I'm sure everyone is saying that because everyone has songs they want to hear. I'd also like to hear more from you. So if you want to email me, email me at fwbpod at gmail.com. Now let's get into my conversation with Michael Gallagher. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> now you're in the zone? Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Gallagher. Mm. How do I scr- describe Michael Gallagher, I guess, is the, is the question. Friend. Friend. <laughs> Enemy. <laughs> Person. Uh, per- human being, yeah. Uh, are you like, oh, I'm doing this again. <laughs> I'm doing this again. You know, we were talking about before... The last time you were on here, it was actually it was you and Steve and oh, Jana. And Jana Vinternitz. Yes, at, uh, <laughs> what do you call it, at the iHeartRadio or whatever. iHeartRadio. Um, and I unceremoniously stopped doing the podcast after that episode. <laughs> that was the last one. Then. That was the last, before I started again. I mean, I've been back for, for a bit now. Uh, and I think, um, and it wasn't because, uh, forget it, like, this just put the nail in the coffin. It was doing well. It was doing fine, and I just stopped. It was a hit. It was a hit show. Sure. The fans were clamoring for more, and you said, you know what? I need a minute. Yeah. I need to walk away. I and need I, to clear my head, take that, a vacay with all this cash. That minute was a year. Yeah. That minute was a year, and then I'm coming back just begging any – come on. <laughs> They're like, hmm, in the last year, another thousand podcasts popped up a month, so we're good. <laughs> We're good with the friends without benefits thing. No, but there's only one Jason Horton, yeah. and the world needs more Horton, and I firmly believe that. And even though I've been on your podcast a few different times before, right. I'm coming back every single time. Yeah. Anytime I get that text, hey, <laughs> you, you have an hour to kill. <laughs> you want to sit and die? Yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I'm, I'm in. I'm always in. Well, I mean, I was kind of holding off because I wanted to talk about, you know, I feel like uh, the craft. Well, I was talking about actual like the projects that, you know, like uh, Funny Story mm. or The Thinning 2 or whatever and like push it a little bit further. But I'm like, I feel like this is a pretty good time. Absolutely. To talk about that. It's a, beautiful, it's stuff. a beautiful time. But uh, I would like to actually I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back because I feel like I I've kind of taken for granted that, you know, I've known you for a while for almost as long as I lived in Los Angeles, worked on a lot of stuff together. Um, you brought me into this mess. <laughs> I when, when I when I re- when I realize I have no four hundred one k, I don't blame myself. I don't blame the economy. I blame you. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that on. Uh, I'll, so, I'll, I'll carry that boulder. Around. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're from San Diego. From San Diego, which I used to live in San Diego, and that's our, essentially our connection. Which is crazy because we didn't know each other in San Diego. Because yeah, I was like fifty three and you were nine. <laughs> At, at, at the time, that's an accurate ratio. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, like so, we uh, knew each other because of San Diego. But you mm-hmm. were born in San Diego. Yes. Went to high school in San Diego. Yeah, I lived there for eighteen years. Eighteen years. Yeah. 
And then you're like, I'm legal, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this town can't contain me anymore. Yeah. They're like, mm, yeah, we can. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, it's kind of an oasis. <laughs> did you find, I'm really did you find, because when I moved there from New York, I was like, oh, San Diego, California, it's a big city. I found it to be pretty conservative. Very conservative. Which I was like, what? Like W U T what? Like not W H A T. A nineties what? Yeah, nineties what? Well, I I felt like growing up, you know, I didn't really know any different because everyone I knew was really conservative yeah. and had these kind of you know like I remember like I remember really specifically when uh, when Bush when when Bush was running against Gore, and I remember like kids like I was in sixth seventh grade or something like that, and I remember the kids being like. Gorn Lieberman suck ass, and they're like little kids, and they have no idea well, they about heard that any Jew politics name. or they whatever. They heard that Jew name, and they were like, "We know this is. Well, I mean, we've learned this is bad." Yeah. So, like as a kid, I remember being like, "Oh, is Gore bad? Al Gore? Why? What's wrong with him? Like, I guess he's an evil person." But like, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know any better, just because like of the like when you grow up in an environment where everyone believes something, you you kind of you go two ways. You either like fall into the mob mentality. Or you start to question, like, what the hell's going on? And that's kind of how I was. I, I started questioning, like, well, why does everyone think this one thing? Or same with religion. I kind of found that. Like, early on, like, I didn't take to religion uh, because I grew up Catholic. My parents are pretty fairly religious. And so we'd go to, you know, I'd go to Catholic school. They, they wanted me to go to Catholic school. But my I blew the interview with, the, like, the head you know, uh, <laughs> Monsignor. Because we call it audition in Hollywood, Michael. <laughs> Everything on this podcast that you do, it's an audition. Yeah, it's I, very Hollywood. I blew it because I kept I was questioning God and all. The, you know, how does it all work and why do you believe this and how do you know? And then they were just like, I don't they, think he's a good fit. Yeah, they were like, I we just want money for our whatever it is, our <laughs> parish or our you know art or diocese or whatever. Mm -hmm. So. Like, what's the credit card number? Like, more like, uh, yeah, I'm obviously exactly. not of that. Like, you know, I grew up a little bit kind of religious too, but, you know, I came to a point where, I, you know, I remember thinking, I was like, this is, to me, this does not make sense. Uh, and it's very clear that it doesn't make sense. Where some things I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know how I feel about certain things, but I was like, I just know, where how so, I think how some people feel like I know. Um, for me, God is real or God is important, and they know that. In the same way, I know the opposite yeah. is where I got – were your parents uh, – what was their jam? Because your parents – I mean, I met them. They were very, very cool. Yeah. Um, they saw a Jew, and they were like, well, we're cool with it. <laughs> they hugged you? Yeah, they hugged me anyway. <laughs> My mom's a huge fan, by the way. Uh, yeah, she loves fan. all things Jason Horn. Yeah, I'm listening. She's to got the usual. merch. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> she got the ringtones. She got the ringtones. got the app. <laughs> <laughs> she subscribes to Hello Horton. Oh, wow. Know? So she's, she's deep cut. She's deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's deep in the Horton fandom. Um, yeah, no, I think my parents, they both were fairly conservative, but not really political, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, they were they kind like of, socially liberal and fiscally? Sort, I think over the years they've evolved a bit, but I think they kind of were coming from the point of view. They Like, when they explained what their philosophy was to me as a kid, they were like, we kind of just believe in less government less yeah. like oversight and everything like i don't want they don't want to be controlled and i was like oh it kind of makes sense but then as i started looking into it, it's like oh well there's it's a lot more you know nuance <laughs> there's a lot more nuance yeah. than that it's like if it was just that then yeah sure why well, would course, i think everybody yeah, when, when would be into that, that. Yeah. yeah but i you know i kind of saw that i think there's it's important for me i'm, I'm i kind of fall into the more like liberal like I, I want to support a community i want to help people like i don't believe that you know just just because you have money doesn't mean you should be able to hold on to every single cent and not help the world because I think everybody does need help. Yeah. We all, you know, people fall in hard times. I think it's important. Um, were your parents, did you ever clash with your parents on that kind of stuff or was it never like really an issue? I kind of, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where I have to know by now, like what you're, I mean, yeah, in some way. I got pretty passionate this last election and just saying, for God's sakes, Please do not vote for Trump or yeah. whatever. And I, and I won my mom over. She didn't actually vote, okay. <laughs> so I got her to not vote. I couldn't get her to the whole way over, yeah. which I think I don't. I really don't know if you can change a person after a certain age of like what they believe in, um, especially from their kid. They're like, we fucking made you. Yeah. Like, why should we listen to you? But I, I got her to not vote, so I think that that I count that as a win. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's kind of, it, you know, it's it's. 
it's tricky because especially, you know, it depends on where you get your information from. And I think everyone's getting into this like Facebook news thing where like I know so many people that will quote whatever they saw on Facebook, they read a thing and it's like all that shit is curated by your friends and it's so it's can get so skewed. Especially so to make money. I mean, there, there's yeah. something at the other end going, "Hey, listen, we're selling something somewhere, so we need the most amount of viewership." So people are clicking and we're making money and then we're selling our whatever. Um, I, and I, I'm, I'm both sides. I'll be fair. You know what I mean? There's there's stuff out there on, on both sides. However, you know, in my echo chamber, uh, <laughs> it's it's all it's all pretty liberal. I've, I've kind of phased it out. But, but I can I can ad- admit that people can be wrong on you know, there's people that I really like and sometimes they're wrong. Well, I, I even just like politics aside, like I remember even before, like kind of in the beginning of the election, before the election, that, like seeing articles of like a giant squid like washed ashore in New Jersey. And there were like some Photoshop picture of a giant squid that looked pretty good, but you could tell it was bullshit. But there were some people like, wow, have you seen this? And they were not being sarcastic. They were, you, you know, there's type of people that would really believe that and be like, whoa, we got to drive out there and see this fucking squid. And, you know, it's like, how do you get through to those types of people that are going to see a Photoshop picture with a headline and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that that happened. Wow, that's real. And so it's like, how do you differentiate that? Like, how do you break through that? I don't know that you can. So so it becomes this weird line of like, is it satire? Is it fake? Is it is, is it just somebody like, you know, trolling? Like, what's the you know, like, like there's some weird, um, you know, kind of Venn diagram between like the facts, bullshit, satire and people trying to make money off of all yeah. of that. And so I, I don't know. It's uh, it's really tricky to like even know what the hell's going on. Like I don't think anyone can agree on what is actually happening at the same time anymore. Well, you what you did to help is you made your mark on the internet and <laughs> didn't even touch any of that stuff. No. No, you made your mark on the internet. And we're going to talk about that. It's like mm. kind of like mm-hmm. a very the, the crux of this whole thing in a way. Yep. So you were I remember, I remember telling me, but you were in high school and you wanted to be a director, go to film school, mm. and that was your jam. But you didn't actually you went and then you dropped out. Yeah, I um well in high school I was I I actually wanted to be an actor up until high school, and that was like my jam. I really loved performing and doing comedy, you know, talent shows, <laughs> little skits. Um, doing your Jackie Mason. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. I was doing all these honeymooner bits yeah. and things. Um, no, but the uh, actually I did I did a Rodney Dangerfield act like word for word at a talent show once, and it like went over really well. And I don't, nobody knew who Rodney Dangerfield was in our grade, but I like that was the kind of stuff I grew up with. Like my family, kind of, you, was big comedy. Older, uh, like you kind of like an older soul of like what I think you were interested in, right? I, well, my parents had I think pretty good taste in comedy and in you know just culture like they love movies like i remember just like we'd always go to the movies on the weekend see the new movie um and then at home they would have like hbo and showtime so like when i get home from school i would just be exposed to all kinds of shit that was just coming through and uh and i think that helped and then yeah their taste in comedy like uh, you know we would go to shows like i remember seeing george carlin at like nine like live um, and then same with Rodney. We saw him live and Louis Anderson and, and like really funny people and like a pretty diverse group of, um, I guess, white people. Uh, yeah, very diverse. <laughs> of older white guys. Some were 5'8", <laughs> some were 5'10". I mean, we didn't care. It was about the comedy. I meant like in terms of their voices, you yeah. know, like that kind of diverse. But uh, so, yeah, so I was interested in like comedy and, and being a performer at first. But then I got into high school and, uh, and in middle school, I, I was actually like the lead in plays. Like I was like performing like doing all the shtick and doing fairly well and then in high school i tried out for like there's like three plays a year i tried out for all three and i didn't get into any of them and the drama teacher like specifically like would not cast me like the student director wanted to cast me the drama teacher like fucking hated me and she was like you do not get cast and you will not cast him and that director was david o russell <laughs> he went on to be david o. Russell. what did he know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so from that i was like you know what fuck this i was like i immediately saw that as an actor there's like a huge frustrating pipeline of like you are at the mercy of other people making a decision saying you are worthy or you're not and so in that moment i realized that that's going to be too stressful for me to just go through life um and that if i want to act maybe what i should do is actually learn about creating things creating movies writing scripts and and really learn about filmmaking in general 
um, which which is what I did. So in high school, my parents actually were able to send me to the, the New York Film Academy. They had like a high school summer program where you could shoot 16 millimeter film and do sync sound and, and you would like work on each of the kids' projects in a different position as a DP or sound man or producer. And so I would do, I did that um, for like six weeks and I just got the bug. I just like immediately was like, this is what I want to do for the did rest of my life. Did you have directors that you were like um, really influenced by? That time, I think, I, I remember I saw like Gangs in New York had just come out in the theater and I just saw that and it was like, I, I loved it. And I was like a kid, you know, 14 or something. I was like 14, just saw Gangs in New York. It was like starting to go through all of Martin Scorsese's movies, Taxi Driver, all that. So I was... I was like a kid version of a cinephile, I guess. Like I was really, uh, you know, I just, I just loved movies and I love things that like push the, you know, push boundaries, you know, because I think growing up as a kid, you're, you're exposed to the same stories of princes and princesses and, you know, elves and magical world shit. And then, you know, when you discover that, oh, like Paul Thomas Anderson made a movie about the porn industry in the seventies, you're like, holy shit, you can do that. Like it literally just like opens up your mind. Like, oh my God, you can, you can you can use every tool and you can push boundaries and you can um, say things that, you know, you're not supposed to say because it's art and because you're exploring, you know, themes and getting into characters, real people and their struggles. And so I just, I got addicted to that. And uh, so, you know, as I did that all throughout high school. So I, through high school, I was making short films, music videos, submitting to film festivals. And I just got, you know, addicted to, to making things. And then by the time I graduated, I got to, um, I went to LMU for a semester, and it was like start, what does that stand for? Uh, Loyola Marymount University. Okay, okay, okay. It's it was like a Catholicish college. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. They have a good film school. But um, when I got there, immediately you have to start in the like, what is a story? Like, oh. let's go to the beginning. And I've been doing that since I was fourteen. Like, just on my own, like reading things and taking classes and going to film festivals. And I was trying to like figure out like, okay, well, when do we get to go into production? Like, oh, you don't get to film anything until you know your junior year and immediately i was just like i don't know that i can sit and listen for this long i'm too antsy i have to like start doing this so i on the side was just making things and then i, I got a job because i had to pay for college and i and then i realized oh well i could make money and i could just go make things rather than like get in debt and spend it all on school like why don't i spend it on my so projects? the result is the same you're just not gonna end up in debt doing it well it's like i can kind of yeah in a way and also i could wait like three or four years before i'm even really doing it um and then kind of get started as you know a person out in the world or i can do this now at like 18 19 and so i kind of chose this and how was the internet at, at that point 19. like what was what was the the vibe on the internet at that point like what was well youtube had just like came out but it, they didn't have the partner program yet okay. And I was um, well. My first job out of uh, when I was at, at college that became my full time job was this company called Mahalo, which is an internet company, and that's really where I learned about YouTube and putting your videos out and monetizing and like algorithms. Essentially, and how distribution, it works. distribution, yeah. marketing, like production. Because we were doing five videos a week, and they were like hosted shows where it'd be like, "Hey, we're gonna go to Sprinkles Cupcakes and see how they do their cupcakes. Check it out." And then we do a little like montage and then an interview. And what and did you do there? What outro. was your part of that? I was like a shooter, editor, producer, camera guy. Like you know, I would do it all. So it was like me and like three other people, and we would, you know, come up with five, <laughs> five shows a week, and we did that for a year and a half, and it was grueling, and it was a cool film school because it was. We'd have to do all of the pre-production, production, production uh, you know, post, and then the marketing and distribution for this like web content. And very quickly, we, we would distribute it on like all these different web platforms, um, like Rever and things that were out in you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or I guess it was two thousand seven, two thousand eight. And very quickly, we saw that YouTube was where the views were. That's where the eyes, that's where people were. And as soon as they started being able to monetize your channels, it was like, oh, my God, you can just make whatever you want, put it out there, and get paid for it. And that's when it, like, clicked in my head. I quit my job and started Totally Sketch. And and that's pretty, you know, kind of at some point, I don't know how soon after, but relatively soon after, that's where we, we cross paths. Yeah, almost immediately. And that's when things get interesting. <laughs> Well, that's when I get interested. You know what I mean? I guess that's where Enter I, the love interest. Yeah. Uh, Jason Horton. What was the first video you put out on Totally Sketch? Well, actually, I approached it. Um, I, I kind of knew from doing the, this weekly show or like, you know, 
five times a week show that I wanted to stockpile like before I even released anything because I wanted to be on a weekly schedule. And so I produced like four sketches before I even launched. And the first, which is still a good, I mean, anyone out there listening, that's still whether you're putting out like a podcast, uh, you know, or you're putting out stuff like you don't want to put it out and then be like, see you guys in a couple of months for the next one, because nobody's going to want to stick around for that. Yeah. And it's really hard to, if you're just up against it week after week. So I, you know, wanted to have a few just in case, you know, what was the first one that people got like a taste of the first one we put out was an interactive, like choose your own adventure video. It was called got sex. And basically it's a video where this, Couples. Was it the fifties one? Was it like the throwback fifties one? No, that was like the third or fourth okay. one. That was pretty soon after. But uh, the first one was basically a couple um, in bed, and the guy's kind of restless, and he rolls over to his his lady, and he's like, "Hey, like, let's have sex." And her eyes go wide, and then interactive options go on the screen, and it says, "Fake a headache or pretend like you're sleeping." And basically, it's from the point of view of this this woman who's in a relationship who does not want to have sex with her guy. Yeah. And so you're trying to navigate to not have sex with him and trying to make the right choice so that does not happen. And so the, the when you fail is when you end up giving in and having sex with this guy. So that was the the premise. Yeah. And and that came out in I was uh that was a two thousand nine. That was two, March two thousand nine. Not not two thousand seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is the point I'm trying to make. That didn't come out in two thousand seventeen. No, it did not. So what you have though here is why did you like did you know that, you know, I mean on the internet, sex is, you know, obviously a, a, an equalizer. Everyone is aware or interested or not interested or whatever it is. Did you make a point to be like, listen, I want to, you know, I want to come out of the gate pretty hard with sex, or was it like, listen, we put sex. That's just something that people can relate to, and then the interactive part that gets people more clicks. Obviously, people have to click on more videos. Was it conscious for you to stack those things up, where you're just like, this is just what I'm doing, and I don't know? I think I, I kind of knew immediately that when you don't have any money to market and don't have any money to like really explain what you're doing to people like at first you want to like make a splash and and the big thing with youtube is that the content like the title the the thumbnail everything it's all part of the marketing and and the distribution it's like how people will know about your thing is like well does it have a catchy title does it have is it a subject matter that is going to interest people is it, you know, does it have an image that looks like a poster of a movie where it's like, I want to see that movie. I want to click on that. Like it has to have those kind of elements um, to, for people to even discover you. So I just knew out the gate, like I had to do something that was going to catch people's attention. And so I, I think in coming up with a lot of ideas for sketches, they would it would kind of come from that marketing point of view. Um, because I just, I knew. So in a way, like the marketing a little bit came from I don't say came first, but like, no, it was part of the creative though. Yeah, it like, wasn't like we're just gonna create it in a bubble and then yeah. send it to the team and let them figure it out. Yeah, it was right. like, no, we got to get this thing out. And it's like, yeah. and and I was spending my own money to produce every sketch and to do everything, and I didn't have a lot of money, so it was like every dollar counted. So it was like, if I'm gonna spend a couple hundred dollars, four hundred dollars on a sketch and for props and to feed people and to pay people and, and all the like, whipped cream and all the whip <laughs> <laughs> the cool whip yeah cool uh, <laughs> yeah it's like you know it all adds up really quick for like a one day shoot or half day shoot or whatever so it was like okay so if i'm going to spend that money like i really want to make sure that whatever we're putting out like is well not only good but you know and funny but that people will find it and that they'll they'll click on it and watch it so how like for you know what was it you know YouTube is relatively in its infancy. The channel is in its infancy. The videos are in their infancy. How did they do when you first uploaded? Like, what was the, the response and what was your kind of, like, take on that? Well, I, I had been working for a year and a half for this, this internet company, and they were all about, like, how to maximize, like, your algorithm and how to, like, get things out there. So I learned a lot of those tricks, like, just working there, and I made a lot of contacts of people who, like, you know, I knew people had like the first Twitter accounts, you know, yeah. like those types that were like so you reach building out like, social yeah, media right. following. Like when that was the, in its infancy, I started seeing that people were building up. You knew a Jeffrey following. Twitter, the guy who invented it. You know what I mean? You hit him up and you're like, hey, man, listen, Jeffrey I looked at your Twitter. I looked at your site. Can you check mine out? You know, I love that. No, but I did. I knew people that had, you know, 10,000, 50,000 followers and things. And I was like, OK, I was like, I know these people. I'm going to do this thing on my own. I know I got one sh I got one favor. Yeah. I got one favor from everyone I know, and then after that, they're going to be sick of me. Yeah. So I'm like, my one favor, I'm going to carpet bomb 
everyone I know who has any possible connection. And I knew some one guy at YouTube. And so I just when I put my first video out, I was like a week before I told everyone I was doing it. I sent them a link to the video. I'm like, it's coming out in a week. If you like it, say something. If not, God bless. Hope you're well. And and so luckily when I put it out, like there were people that were tweeting it and putting it on Facebook and kind of like sending it out. And then um, this guy I knew at uh, at YouTube, this guy, Dave McMillan, who actually is um, he's like a big writer now. He's like writing on TV shows. He, he was writing this, uh, this. He wrote like a play about O.J. Simpson that got a lot of acclaim in L.A. But he was um, they had a home page on YouTube that was curated in the very beginning where. Uh, you you know these people would pick a video and just say oh this is a video of the week kind of thing kind of like what Vimeo does, um, and those videos that would go on the homepage they would get a lot of views because it's just so much traffic because it's advertising. And I sent him that video and he liked it and he posted it uh, as an editorial on on the front page of YouTube. So that first video I posted like within like a week had like hundreds of thousands of views, which is great by any back then now I mean it's great by any. Any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and from that, it was like immediately, like all these people that were doing YouTube would go like, "Oh, like this is cool." Like, cause I, you know, I, I would shoot it like I did my short films or whatever. We shot in HD. You know, I cared about the lenses and the acting and everything. And it was like I tried to have a certain level of production value for this like super low budget, like three hundred dollar sketch that I put out. And so that really helped immediately, like s you know, set a brand. I didn't necessarily have a lot of subscribers from that, but I got like people's attention, and I trained them immediately saying every Thursday there'll be a new totally sketch on this channel and I just started saying that again every video when did you hook up with what became maker at what point was that in this timeline that was studios? that was like a like a couple of like a month maybe May I think so I started quick. in March and then May yeah well I did um, one of the, this other technique I did to try and like you know get in the community because I really like knew I barely knew anyone I knew Tazon Day yeah. he was my way into the YouTube world I, yeah. I did an interview with him for Mahalo and we became buds and so I, I kind of got to meet a few YouTube people from that so I I peripherally had met Iman um, uh, from you know Alpha Cat yeah so I knew Alpha Cat barely and so I kind of cold emailed him and I wrote him a parody of Jamie Foxx song, Blame It on the Alcohol. And it was called Blame It on the Economy. And I wrote this thing and I sent it to him and I was like, hey, you don't know me. I you know, make stuff. Here's my first video. Like, I want to produce for you a whole music video. I know you do YouTube parodies as Obama that are very successful. I want to produce a high quality one for you for free. Let me do that. And all I ask is that you shout me out at the end of your video or we do a cross promotion kind of thing. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So I just offered my services for free to him. And in that video, we had Lisa Nova in it. She had her boyfriend at the time, Danny Diamond. And that on that shoot, Danny saw me working. And he was cooking up Maker Studios at the time with at, Lisa and Ben. And I was at the station at that point. Yeah, it was the station. And that was the idea originally was to do a sketch channel. So I, from that shoot, he was like, oh, this guy could be good to bring on to help you know produce what we want to do. So I had a meeting with him after that. And he told me all about the station and the plan and that was like the beginning of maker i remember being at a starbucks and he just like told me the whole plan and it was i was like yeah i'm in let's do it and at what point did we meet because when we met the station was still the station like, was, where, this, was where, the station a thing when we met or was it yeah not no because i remember because i went and uh the fine brothers were the head writers mm -hmm. and it was over marina del rey uh and then i remember well, we did the keyboard cap before that though didn't we yeah, that was the first. Thing oh, that was we the first did, thing. Right? Keyboard, yeah, true, true Hollywood story. The keyboard cat. <laughs> I had you in my apartment. Yeah, and, and I put up like through, a black background. Yeah, we met through yeah. Bree Esrig. Through Bree Esrig, yeah, who was I, part of the totally sketch, you know, yeah. uh, cast. Yeah, and I went to high school with her. Yeah, which is and I knew her from San Diego from doing improv because she was in the improv scene. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and so I remember I so I when I first started I knew a few actors, but I was casting actors working with people I thought were funny, I knew. And so I cast her in, in a, like this 1950s sketch. And doing that, she was like, you really need to meet my boyfriend, Steve, who's so funny. And then you really need to meet this other guy, Jason Horton, who is his, I think, roommate or best friend at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you, you guys got to meet because they're so funny. And I'm like doing sketches with them in San Diego. Like, you got to get them in this. And so that, like, just off her recommendation, I was like, yeah, I want to meet funny people. And I was like new to L.A. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know that many people. So you were living in Beverly Hills at the time. I was living just, yeah, I think just south of Beverly Hills yeah. in a one-bedroom apartment with no yeah. AC. Yeah. yeah. Not like I a was impressed. Not in a luxurious, yeah. uh, you know, when you say Beverly Hills, it sounds like, you know, there's like butlers that are like, you know, 
being used as Ottomans. No, no, no. That didn't come to later. No. <laughs> Eventually you got that. Right now my right, feet yes. are on a butler. Uh, and so from there, like, you know, I was kind of, you know, making one video, then another video. And, like, I was discovering, you know, from doing um, commercial auditions and doing, like, live, live sketch and improv that I was like, wait a minute. You mean I can do stuff and, like, theoretically millions of people could see it? So it got I got the bug. And then from there, uh, you know, I felt like Totally Sketch, I guess, Totally Sketch is you, right? But it became like a kind of like a troop or like a, a collective, a collective <laughs> of what that is. And essentially mm. some, you know, a, a decent amount of people. But Clay is, you know, Steve, Nikki, Bree, Richard, Ryan, myself. As I mean, I feel like those are people. That's like, like the kind of core group. Core, and, and then, then other, there's, yeah, and there's, there's people like Patrick O'Sullivan yeah. and McKenna Ridgeway and oh, like yeah. recurring characters, people yeah. that I would you know love working with that I would bring in. So, you know, it's it kind of like as you start doing it, you find the people that. One also really love doing it and are really funny and you know want and want to and because it's you know it's not it's not super glamorous to make sketches it's not <laughs> it's it's you know it, you're you're trying to do a lot with a little you know it's kind of weird hours and weird like scheduling because I I mean you probably remember uh, all this but I was doing like so many jobs at once on every set like I was shoot you know like i'd have maybe one one guy i'd have a camera guy and then i would like do sound and i'd be doing fixing the lighting with the camera guy and then i would be you know doing makeup and cast you know i would just be like craft service and you know getting the props and you know doing all the editing and you know kind of like directing and then also like co like you know reading lines off camera i was just like doing a lot like running around um and so it was it, you know some people come into that environment and are like, "This is not professional." But that probably helped. I imagine that helped you because you were under the mo like under a ton of duress. So then, when you get the opportunity to pull back, it's like, oh, "Wait, I only have to direct." I'm sure, like you doing all those things was kind of helpful, rather than being like, "Listen, I've only just directed." And then if somebody asks you to do one additional thing, you freak out. So <laughs> you were in a, kind of in a good. You trained very hard, right? In I trained trained hard, and and now like doing you know movies or you know any any directing work. Uh, generally, I have like a bigger crew, thirty person crew or something, and it's like going on vacation. Really, it's like the nicest thing ever. Do you like, still feel? Do you still feel like that part where you want to be kind of hands on to everything? Like where you, or do you let people? just well do I do a lot of prep and I work with each creative head in every department to make sure they know what we're trying to achieve and I just make sure that that's crystal clear in pre-production so then on set it can be as smooth as possible of course there's little things that come up but I try and empower and delegate as much as I can but but you know you kind of have to like as a director you have to just make sure everyone is in line and making the same movie because if you don't it's all about communication you just gotta just gotta talk tell them your your dreams your vision and they're like, sure, I just want to get paid. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I want to feed my kid. Is that cool? Do we have to do a full day? Yeah. So was it conscious? Because Totally Sketch, I mean, not, not every video, but a lot of the Hallmark videos were sexual in nature. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, you know, I think I kind of started with like a relationship angle. Really, and yeah, then, really But yeah. then when you get into like the marketing and like the putting the, you know, the title and everything together, it's like, well, is it going to work better if it's like, you know, um, you know, problems at home? <laughs> like yeah. if you call it problems at home versus like, you know, sexual activity. Yeah, exactly. It's like immediately there's like, you know, there's a clickable title and yeah. there's a title that everyone just kind of scrolls past. And so, you know, I think from that, like that clickbaity kind of like YouTube culture, you know, and you're looking and what's tough is when you're making things. You're not just making it in a bubble. You're making it in next to, like, parallel to all these other creators that are vying for people's attention. And so when you come down to it, it's like, what are you going to put out there that's going to grab their attention? And so I think sex and, you know, like, sexuality and a Relationship, lot of those things. Relationship, awkwardness. Or yeah, and the, the, I, the, yeah. I, I thought all those things were funny, and I thought that, like, you know, like, in the same way, like, some of my favorite movies, like the Judd Apatow movies, you know, Four-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up, like – most of my favorite scenes in those movies are like the really uncomfortable, awkward, like sexually kind of encounter. Like they're flirting. They're... It's not about the sex because everyone knows about the yeah, sex. Yeah, that's it's... not funny. Yeah, but but, with, but how people feel about it or like about to have sex or not, like that is really a funny moment. Is like the negotiation that goes on between men, women, men, men, women, women. Like that's a really funny dynamic to me. Do you think you could make those videos today? 
I think the some of them, I think there's some videos that, you know, we did that I think now you'd get some social justice warriors, you know, tweeting yeah. all about I it. Mean, I mean, some of it right, I mean, some of it rightfully so. Yeah, in the, you it's, know. In the, it's in the zone. I yeah. think I always tried to take the point of view, like the opposite point of view of what you thought you were going to get. Right. Like I, I would like kind of take a clickbaity title and then, you know, I wouldn't like pretend like something's in the video that's not like I, I don't like false advertising so if it said there was something going on or the thumbnail showed something i tried to be true to that but what we would do is we would con you know like we i remember we did like uh, you know this is probably a, a hot button issue right now with with the whole weinstein thing but the we did a casting couch sketch right I remember the, yeah which i think is really funny because we took the point of view of that the actress was basically thinking like, she was going to be doing she, thinking she was going to have to do some it was a pull up she was going to have to sleep with this guy yeah. well she basically thought she was going to have to like sleep with this guy to get the part and she was kind of ready for it and the guy didn't want that he <laughs> yeah. just wanted her to do Aaron Sorkin like, monologues yeah, yeah. And, and like put this on <laughs> so we like took a dynamic that people are familiar and with and did it. a spin yeah. that i hadn't seen and so and you know to me like that's that's most comedy is like reverse take, casting couch was that what it was that was that was what it's called yeah. the reverse casting couch yeah. but like now like you know I, I could see how some people would be really offended by that or whatever. But I and think that's not your intent. It's not intent to no, offend. No, I, I think if anything, like comedy is is supposed to push a little bit on you know buttons that we have, and it's supposed to you know kind of make us confront like something that maybe is uncomfortable we don't like, and I think that's important. But I you know like that the things that make me laugh are when someone is, you know like Louis C.K. is really funny, George Carlin's really funny, like these people that like talk about things that are inherently like you know, we have really strong positions on and they break them down. That's what I, I like. And, you know, I, I, I can only do it, do, you know, maybe a fraction of 1% of what, you know, they can get into. But, you know, that's generally the area I like to hit, even you know, if it's about sex, if it's about relationship, race, like whatever. There was a, because I know like, you know, directing, you know, essentially kind of taking what you're doing and then, you know, making films like I would say, I know you made Your Friends was one of the first ones, but then Smiley was the one that, really incorporated other YouTube people and you had had like kind of this hybrid thing where you're like hey you know and the smiley trailer w did really well right like the trailer got like oh, like over know, 30 million views which for a movie trailer for anybody with huge like big budgets and stuff like that they can't hit that yeah well I remember at the time like the first Avengers was coming out and it was like it had more views than the Avengers trailer yeah. which was kind of so you're saying it's Better than it's the better than, than the Avengers. Yeah. No. At the same time, you're making Smiley. Yes. Uh, Which is a horror movie. A horror movie. I directed it. Produced. Directed, I funded it. Funded it. I but did. It, I. There's so much blood on my hands over that movie. Like I literally can't pass the blame onto anyone other than me. So if you don't like it, you hate the movie. It's my fault. <laughs> Completely my fault because I literally had no one telling me what to do. Yeah. And I was a 22 year old kid making this movie and. And I think the thing I learned is that maybe 22-year-olds shouldn't make a movie. That's is that kinda, your takeaway? That was my big takeaway. Is that what you would go back – if you went back, would you not be the movie? Well, I think it's like – it's one of those things where, you know, when you're 22, you're, you focus on certain things. Like, I, I think I had the energy at that moment of, like, I want to make a movie so bad. Like, that was the reason I made that movie as opposed to this is a story I that really need to, to tell. Told, yeah. and, but but I, there are things about it that I like and there are things about it that I think work. Those are very minor things <laughs> because generally I, you know, but I'm very critical on, on what I do. But um, the movie, I think, missed it missed the mark uh, on a few different areas. But um, but it really, I think, fundamentally comes back to I was in a place where I needed I needed to have a story that I needed to tell. And I wasn't at that place at that time. I think. Though pro there's probably a lot of people who watched it that were like, especially fans of like Shane Dawson and Toby Turner, I'd say, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of other you know other um, YouTube people in there. There's people that probably watched that that didn't see it at least back then. They probably didn't see it that way. They're like, this is so cool. It's a movie made by you know somebody from the YouTube world with YouTube people in it, which now is a little more commonplace. Um, yeah, it was the I think it was the first one other than like the Fred movie that was like a Nickelodeon you know like funded a, made yeah, yeah it was like a bigger kind of thing like this was a two hundred thousand dollar like low micro budget horror thriller thing and what i thought was cool about it was it was tackling trolling and it was i'm shirtless in it horton's shirtless i thought we wanted that to be the poster but yeah the NBAA but, was like yeah yeah not a chance in hell yeah um and so it was you know it was something where i thought 
there, there were some interesting elements to it. And because I'd wor- been working on the online world so much, I thought, okay, like, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't think broadly enough about like some of the inherent problems of making a horror movie about like people on the internet and, and getting into that culture. Cause we, you know, we talked about anonymous and 4chan and you got and, some heat for that. Yeah. We, we, I mean, you know, I got death threats. I got, you know, people like getting my phone number, my social security number and like trying to send me pizzas and like, you know, yeah. 4chan basically just being like, fuck you because double you fingers. Anonymous yeah. Well, I, we, we not only mention them, but we talk about them and kind of shit on them. And so I, I thought like you could, you know, do that. But, uh, basically they didn't like the movie uh, for many reasons, but they, you know, the movie was a troll on them, but, but they're trolls inherently. So we got all this, you know, uh, my, I'm fine. I never felt that threatened. People in my life felt weird because they were getting like, they got down to like my cousins and like people in my Facebook, you know, that were attached to me on Facebook. Like they would go after them and like send them really lewd messages and phone, you know, leave them weird phone calls. But I just know that they're like 14 year old kids. So I don't really think too much of it. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a weird time, and I was kind of uh, you know I was doing too much I think at that time because it was it was like I co-wrote it, I produced it, I you know directed it, I you know and still doing totally sketch, yeah, still it's to- still doing totally sketch, but we also did all the marketing for it and we distributed it ourselves. We got it in theaters, like uh, you know we, we got were in doing, AMC theaters, which was cool. Yeah, we did. We, got, we were like in thirty. We did a thirty screen theatrical release, which for you Smiley. probably didn't expect. Which was nuts, yeah. and it was like, oh, we can do a thirty screen theatrical release on our own with my 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 producer Michael Wormser and I. Like, we can do that, and so we were like calling Clear Channel and like getting ads on billboards, and you know, we were just like negotiating all this stuff as like two people, and that's not like just going through that process. Like, that was my film school, really, and it was also my film school to get all of the criticism on the movie and to get death threats and to go through that and figure out how to make a movie from nothing and then release it and distribute it and get it out there. And get so. get those DVDs in the $1 bin <laughs> somewhere. I'd be honored if they were in a $1 yeah. bin. No, the, uh, I, I, actually the company that released the DVDs like filed bankruptcy. <laughs> so now I'm in the process of like getting the rights back to the movie or getting like the, the distribution, the American distribution rights. And what back. would, how would that benefit? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what, like, what do you hope to gain from that? What I gain from that? I don't know. Put it on, uh, put it on Hulu. Hulu. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I think you know. There's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I worked with Keith David in that movie, yeah. and Roger Bard, and some really cool actors, and um, I had a fun time. It was a fun. It was like the best time of, of my filmmaking life. You know, in, in the start of it, it was like the most fun I had had. But going through that process, I realized that like storytelling movie making it can't just be about the fun of like oh we get to make something it has to really be you have to be telling a story that 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 means something to you on a personal level and that has something to say about our world that's that's a little broader and i think smiley does that to 10 percent and needs needed to do that much more did you carry this is your next movie internet famous yes did you carry any of that over or just keep making the same mistakes? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, – well, that was an interesting one because that's a mockumentary about the and YouTube you world. And you Steve Green wrote that. Yes. And uh, you, Michael and Jana. Uh, yep. Winters. Michael Wormser, Jana Winternitz. Uh, we have a company, Cinemand. We produced it and uh, we did it with Lakeshore and uh, it's on Netflix now. And I, I felt – I felt good about that movie. Like anything, I feel like there's so much I could change or do better in, in talking about the internet. It's also hard to do movies about a topical subject matter because the second you've filmed it, like the, the rate that things are changing, like, you know, we, we made fun of Vine in the movie yeah. and Vine was gone nine months later. So it was like there's a window to everything, you know, that's 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 new. Um, so it becomes dated very quickly. So I, I learned that lesson. But, but that movie, I think – it still remains topical because we did it before, like say Jake Paul was such a thing. And like yesterday I just saw on Instagram that he bought a mansion and you know, he rides around on hoverboards and like, so the character, there's a, ca- yeah, the character. There's a character of Tomas, the parody boss that Shane Dawson plays where he kind of looks like Jake Paul. He lives in a mansion. He rides around on hoverboards. And so it's like at a certain point it's, you know, I- I'm proud of the movie because it's all true. Like everything about, the industry of YouTube and influencers and and the ego in the world like that was what we really wanted to hit was like the inflated fucking egos of people on YouTube and Vine who think that they are 
you know, the like the highest of the high. they think they're Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. They think they're Kate Winslet. And you could fast forward for most of them a year later and, and they're, like, gone. they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. They and don't stand the test of time. And it's because, you know, it's 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 the same thing with child actors. It's like rising too fast and having too much money and, and too much fun at a certain age publicly, that can like destroy people. And uh, and people don't know what to do with it. And it's so new, like what we're dealing with is so new, like having so much power and control of like being able to put whatever you want out there, having so many fans and and money and endorsements. Like no, people don't know how to deal with that to go from, you know, a private citizen to like this huge celebrity with no with no support. Like that's that's a that's a scary thing that a lot of people are dealing with. If I, I, feel, find, I feel for them more than yeah. anything. If I find five dollars in my pocket, I'm like, wait, wait oh, what? Am I? So, what am I supposed to do with this information? And it freaks me out. Horton, you're supposed to put out the image that like you are just getting deals, that you are living, you know, you're eating caviar, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, you have to put that image out because then everyone's like, oh shit, we gotta, you know, like you, you can't be playing the, um, you know, like you found five dollars in your pocket. You have to act like, uh, like you you own uh, a slave camp. I I knew there was five dollars in my pocket because I always keep five. Is that better? Like, so I mean, I want to ask. So totally yeah. scared. The kind yeah. of like, which is on some kind of indefinite hiatus. I don't know what. When you, because well, at some point you had to put I, the brakes on it and then slow down and then eventually stop. Well, I always think it's like I don't know. I think it's silly when people on YouTube are like, you know, I'm retiring or I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, this show is is going on hiatus. It's like a YouTube show, like whatever. Like it's, you know, I, I it's hard to, um, you know, uh, it's hard to know how to navigate that stuff because I think it looks ridiculous when someone makes an announcement like that. But then at the same time, I also think it kind of sucks like the way I've done it, which is just silence which I don't explain what I'm doing or what's going on. I just stopped producing weekly videos. And so there are there's a contingent of people that are like, what's going on? Like, why does he stop? Um, and then I think other people, you know, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook or other things. Like, which you still use the name Totally Sketch. I still, yeah, so, it's, I'm at Totally Sketch everywhere. Yeah. So it's like just kind of become became me at a certain point. And so you'll see, like, if we're working on a movie or a series or other YouTube stuff, like, I'm still actively making things. I'm just not doing Totally Sketch, you know, so I'm not doing sketch comedy videos weekly on my YouTube channel. But I've, I've been, like, directing for Jimmy Tatro. I did his, like, Real Bros of Simi Valley series. I did a series with uh, My Life is Ava um, about high school that was really fun um, for her audience. And, you know, we did Internet Famous, this movie. We did The Thinning um, for Legendary that came out on YouTube Red. Um, and you're and doing The Thinning 2 is what I want to mention. The Thinning 2 you're going to be doing, I think. Or is that we're not talking about that? It's uh, we're you know, it's not. There's nothing official about okay the sequel. So there might be a thinning too. Well, I think there's a lot of interest for it, and okay. it's something that is you know on you know I've gotten a lot of response on that movie, and so we're definitely I'm actively trying to get a sequel going, but we there's you know it's not uh, it's not a hun it's hundo not in stone okay it's not a hundo okay. percent. So until something's like a hundred percent, I don't like to. You know. Well, let's talk about something that is a hundred percent. Yeah. Or something that's seventy-six <laughs> percent. Funny story. Yes. Uh, which is you know I saw a first cut mm. of, and it's. And you're in it. I'm in it. I think I don't know, man. You're still in it. I don't know. <laughs> Am I? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in it. You're in right. it. Your voice is in it. Yeah. Your face is, face in, is it. in it. All right. That counts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, so funny story you wrote with Steve Green. Yes. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, I'm not going to say it's not a romantic comedy. I don't think it's the right word for it. Yeah. It kind of, it's Indie. tough. It's like a drama comedy, you know, I call it a tragic comedy. I think is the best way to put a it. A tragedy? A tragedy. Yeah. That's what I'll catch on. Yeah. Oh, so quick. Hashtag tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> How do you spell it? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a more personal movie for me, which I've never, you know, I've never really opened up. Like most of the movies that we've been working on are kind of modeled around people I know, but there aren't a lot of movies that I've done were modeled around things that happened to me that are more personal. And so this is a movie that. Does that make it easier or more difficult to like execute? Do you feel like more, uh, because it's yours, do you feel like you're more precious about it and you're afraid to like, you know, really like like put the pedal to the metal or do you feel like more jazzed about it because it is so personal? Well, I, you know, I think this happens nowadays with so much technology is like 
you know, kids grow up with the ability to to make things and tell stories, but they have nothing to say. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they don't have they like they haven't lived life yet to like have something. To I don't say know. I've been it. I've been uh, like a lot of people, a lot of like you know, eighteen year olds are selling books like letting me know about love and like their whole <laughs> life and how crazy it was. But you know, what? I will say this: there's there's fifteen year olds or whatever that have lived like. Oh, 20 yeah. lifetimes and there's people that live to be a hundred that barely live one so I'll put that out there absolutely but when people are trying to like I don't want to necessarily learn about love from somebody who's like you would date a girl for like a week in high school and because they have an audience and they're got a book deal right like I want to take that it, not to say that it's not valuable but it's really the distribution and audience is there first and it's like what can we do with this mm-hmm. the product becomes is fifth or something like that I agree and uh and so I, I'm, you know, the stories that I've been able to tell to this point have been from my limited life experience. I'm 28 right now, and so but you got a you got a pretty early start. Yeah, no, I, I I got an early start. So like, you know, that's why like all my sketches that most of them were kind of about relationship things or awkward, you know, like sex stuff and humor because well, I was you, coming you, out of high school yeah. where it was like all about being awkward and fumbling around girls yeah. and things. So it was like that was my those are the things that I had experienced. Where I'm like, oh, this is funny. So I'm going to put this in a sketch. So and then with the movies, you know, I had been working in the YouTube world. So it made sense to do Internet Famous. And then the thinning, it was like, you know, I really love like the, these dystopian teen thrillers and I had so much anxiety in high school that it was, it was like, like the Maze Runner 7 <laughs> <laughs> I just saw another trailer for one of those I was like here's a wall so I guess it's, and it's a wall and then somebody with a backpack if you put sexy kids in kind of bluish color uh, palette it's uh, and they're running around yeah. it's, uh, it's gonna be a good time and their hair is perfect perfect <laughs> Perfectly quaffed. So for fu- funny story. So for funny story was yeah. more of like s- things that happened to me in my life um, that, you know, people I know uh, that are my, you know, my family. It's really mm-hmm. like talking about like families in general. And it's not necessarily like these events didn't exactly happen like scene for scene. But the lot of like the, the characters, the sentiment, like they're, you know, our parents. They're people that I've, I've grown up with. Um, and it's, um, you know, and I, I have... I think the big thing the movie is about is when you are a child, you look up to your parents and think of them as kind of like gods and like they're perfect. And then as you get older, you start to realize that they're just people trying their fucking best. And that there's this moment where the image of them being gods is shattered and you're kind of left with these people that fuck up, that try, that fail, that, you know. Are living life and um, and and how do you reconcile with that? And if they do fuck up and they do hurt you, are you going to say, "Well, fuck you forever. I'm not going to talk to you," or are you going to try and find that place of forgiveness within you to forgive? So that's kind of it was like that was a a deeper kind of heavier theme that I hadn't dealt with before, and I thought you know this would be a, a cool time to just do something more personal and and just you know try it. Do you think, kind of as a side note, do you think you from the experience from making the movie and from kind of like, oh, wow, I feel these things. I'm actually putting it on paper and I'm thinking about myself while I'm writing this movie and I'm just thinking about these things in general. Do you think you've learned from it or do you think you could make the same mistakes? You mean as a person or as a you, filmmaker? As a, as a person. As a person, yeah, I think uh, I'm. You know, I'm not perfect in any sense. I feel like. Did you want to break? Always want to break this idea of like I got to break this cycle. You yeah. know, in some way, yeah. especially I don't know how far anything goes back, but there's things in my life that go back. You know, kind of far, and it's like when it's got to stop with me. You know, or but also it's like I haven't been put to the test and everything yet, so I don't know how I'm gonna. Re- it's easy for me mm. to sit here behind these you know Hollywood microphones and say the buck stops here but like put me to the test I don't know what I'm going to do yeah and I and I think I think we're constantly challenged by you know our own what we're happy like what you know what what we're okay with and what we're not and and what we expect out of others and um and so you I don't know I just like being let down by family or being let down by you know decisions other people make you know for their own life that that negatively affect yours it's kind of um it's it's really tough um because we're only you know i, I don't know maybe this is speaking too generally but just you i only have my experience and so everything has to kind of come through this filter of like what is happening to me and what am i doing to others and so when i when someone is um i don't know when it feels like they're fucking me over or they're they're making me sad or feel like i'm incomplete 
I'm like, you know, you, your instinct is to say, well, fuck you. And, you know, I never want to speak to you How dare you? Again. Do, yeah. yeah like, and that's the easy, that's kind of the easy way. But ultimately that's like becomes your burden. And, and I, I found that like holding those resentments and those like, those kind of angry feelings, like they don't do anything good for me. And the best it way. It feels good for the second you're saying them, but then you, you, you're right. You have to live with that. Like you have to live with that burden. You have to be that person when you can just be like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to take the kind of the high road of it. Because if you can, if that's always some your response, right, it's always just kind of like, you're wrong and I'm right, which everyone, you know, you, people can agree on that. But where does that get you? You know what I mean? I don't like, think it gets you very far. And I think it just it, it kind of will just create unhappiness ultimately. And it, and it kind of creates this like bitterness that can lead to just all this. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of how like in a way I think that can create like cancer that can create like all kinds of diseases for you internally because you're holding on to this like negativity. That's, that's Is this going to be an anti-vaccination? So don't here? vax your kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you Do were not this whole vax thing up your children. They are poisoning <laughs> yeah. them. Uh, no, I actually believe in vaccine. I'm going to go get vaxxed after. <laughs> oh, we, we, give a, we give a free vax every, <laughs> every podcast. This podcast is sponsored by vax now. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel like you have to, I think forgiveness and, and love is really the, the way you got to go yeah. and not to get too, uh, you know, not to get too Jim Carrey on a fashion show, red carpet yeah. on you, but that's really what I, I do think at the end of the day. Well, you're, like, you're, you're, you're pain in this thing becomes everyone else's pleasure in some way because mm. the best songs, the best movies, the best books have been written haven't come from a place like everything is kicking ass. I'm going <laughs> to write a song. It doesn't come from there. It comes from a place that has the most emotion and yeah. then people are like relating to it or they're like it just becomes so important to them but it takes you, you know what I mean, like stumbling and, and, and kind of not having everything go well to create because everything was going great. Like what would you really have to say? Not probably that much. It's just like how to how to go. It's like how to be a millionaire to another millionaire. Like nobody wants to hear that story. You know, <laughs> from riches to riches. Nope. Nobody wants to hear that story. Not at all. No, I think yeah, I think good art and good storytelling can come should come from struggle and criticism and where people are are trying to learn about themselves and the world and how what the fuck is going on. Like, you know, I think we all hit points where it's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, I don't know what's right or wrong or what I'm supposed to do. And that like creating from that place of like when you're learning and learning about how, you know, how to deal with human beings like that's that's exciting because uh, that's I don't know. I, I'm, I like stories about humanity that make me feel for someone else and that make put me in someone else's shoes, even if it's uncomfortable. And um, yeah, with the movie, like, you know, we kind of like follow these kind of gray area protagonists that are not necessarily doing the right thing all the time because I get so tired of like, Oh, like there's such a good, it's such a good guy. You know, he's just trying his best and the world's just getting him down. Like, I feel like that's, that's some people maybe, but, or that's an idealized version of people. But I think most of us are just fucking up and we're like making terrible decisions and fucking people over without thinking about it and being selfish. And, and it's like all of those, like we're just doing our best within our, you know, circumstances. And, you know, it's, uh, that's interesting to me is, uh, is the, the, the downfall of humanity and how do we rise back up? Funny story out. 2018 <laughs> sounds like a blast, uh, man. Uh, 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 really selling a lot of movies. So right what's now. just to kind of wrap it? What what is good, like? What's the trajectory with the with the film? With the film? Uh, well, that's this is the first movie that I've self financed and you know just done by on my own since uh, Smiley. So it's you know it's been like five six years since then and it's like all right let's try it again festivals you gotta <laughs> yeah we're gonna um uh, yeah we're, we're gonna submit it to film festivals and you know show it to distributors but it's um you know it's something that i you know it was something that i didn't want to go through the process of working with a studio working with you know a, a big company that was gonna you know want to cast it a certain way and want to you know change the story and, and do all that like i i just it was so it's so personal to me and, and so important to like kind of keep it in this this kind of darker comedy tone that I was willing to just say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to I'm just going to go make it and not fully, you know, not worry about the result of like how to get it out there and just really focus on making the best movie possible and like telling the story as as truthfully as I can. 
and so that was that was the big thing on this movie that was like my driving force which i'd never done that before with smiley it was kind of like oh this will be fun let's go do it and try and do it as you know inexpensive as we can i mean if all this all else fails you could just do got sex too <laughs> uh, yeah there's been a lot of clamoring for that <laughs> yeah no i i you know i uh i, I kind of think like before you know before i have kids before i'm like married it's like i have this like small window of like i can you know spend all my money and like fuck up oh. i'm like i gotta get that out now because once i have kids or and once you know once that's all going it's like that's gonna become the full priority and like going off and spending a bunch of money and making a movie like that's that's gonna be really that's gonna be really reckless at a certain point right now it's like reckless in in the capacity of like you know maybe my lifestyle isn't gonna be as comfortable but i'm gonna you know i can get it through i can i can do it now and not like injure the lives of of babies you'll be making your own version of daddy's home i guarantee when you have kids and you're married you'll be like Daddy's home seven. Daddy's on Mars. It'll be, you know, like sounds like it'll be your jam. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah. I love Will Ferrell oh. and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Their chemistry is electric. All right. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> that's, how that's how we're going to end.